Stay home and eat all the freaking chips, Kip. Napoleon, don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with babes all day. Besides, we both know I'm training to become a cage fighter. Since when, Kip? You have the worst reflexes of all time. Try and hit me, Napoleon. What? I said come down here and see what happens if you try and hit me. Such an idiot. Let me see what your best move is. I'll go get it. Jeez. Kairos, how do you handle conflict in your life? Do you fight cleanly or do you fight dirty sometimes? I tell you what, sometimes it can be tempting no matter what to fight dirty. We're going to get into that tonight, and we hope that by the end of the night, we know how to handle our conflict in a clean way. So it's not a fight, but if we do fight, it's, it's fighting clean. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor at Hope Ames. I'm so glad that we get to worship together. I'm so glad that you're in this room. I'm so glad that there are people joining us online. I'm so glad that there are people joining us in Iowa City. If you could go ahead and turn to that camera over there and say hi to our friends in Iowa City on the counter three. That'd be awesome. Say hi, Iowa City. One, two, three. So glad to be with you all wherever you might be tonight. We're in the last week of our series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Remember, this is rooted in Jesus's most important commandment to us. Jesus said this. Would you read it with me? You might have it memorized by now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody have that memorized yet? Like, we're getting there. Nice work. I'm, you know what? Don't be bashful about it. You can be very proud of that. Um, we, we know this about Jesus and Jesus' teaching. When Jesus says, in order to love God, you must love people, what he's saying is that loving God and loving people are inseparable from one another. The mark of a Christian is someone who is growing in love, growing in love for God, growing in love for others. And also, you might notice at the end of that passage, it says, growing in love for yourself, too. Now, the truth is sometimes we have relationships that get complicated. And so loving other people, you can go back a slide, loving other people can be really difficult because we run into this thing called conflict. Turn to the person next to you and say, conflicted. Conflicted. Sometimes our relationships get conflicted. Now, all of us have some sort of relationship in our life, whether those are close relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, family relationships, relationships with superiors like professors or bosses, whoever that might be. We all have relationships. Every single one of them is different, but I can almost guarantee you something about at least one of the relationships in your life. No matter what relationship you are in, I can almost guarantee that at some point or another, you will run into conflict. We run into conflict in our relationships, and that's okay. Now, the truth is, sometimes that we can handle those in unhealthy ways. We've been taking some, uh, some, we've been taking some, in, some self-inventory throughout the series, and I'd like to practice that again one more time. So if you've got a notebook, if you've got your phone where you take notes, I encourage you to take one of those out. Take out a notebook, take out your phone, and on this next slide here, there's a list of different ways that sometimes we do not handle... Re- uh, these are examples of ways that we don't handle... Re- Why can't I say that? These are examples of unhealthy ways to manage the conflict in our relationships. I'm going to read these, and I just want you to go ahead, and nobody else is going to see these, but as I read these out loud, just go ahead and write down the ones where if you're being totally honest with yourself, sometimes when you are dealing with conflict, you fall into some of these temptations. Avoidance, attacking, denial, sarcasm, had to, sorry. Shouting, anger and rage, lying, making up excuses. Sometimes we could go with that. That's another one of the things on there. 
violence, that's not a good one, blaming, personal criticism, appeasing, just saying the other person's right, just falling for whatever they wanted because you don't want to have conflict, passive aggression, exaggerating by using phrases like always or never. Now, for me, I look at some of these, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty convicting. There are a lot of things on this list that sometimes I will fall into when it comes to handling my conflict. The truth is, we don't like dealing with conflict. There was a book that came out a while ago, it's called Crucial Conversations, and they found that in the workplace, 95% of people are terrified of speaking up to their coworkers when they have a problem with them. 95% of people. Now, that's not just something that makes you uncomfortable in your desk, but also, it's not good for the situations around you. Crucial Conversations, which is backed up by so many different studies throughout the book, you can find in there that they say that every single conflict that is avoided and just put off will cost a company $1,500 because you have to go through different processes to fix that conflict or to continue to run away from that conflict, and it just keeps on adding up. It doesn't go away just because we avoid it, does it? Now, I want to tell you this. Not every conflict has to be a bad thing. Conflict can be a good thing. It can actually lead to a more healthy relationship. Jesus said this in our Bible reading for tonight, Matthew chapter 5. He said, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Jesus is saying that God's children are peacemakers. The word that Jesus is recorded using in the Greek there, it is peacemaker. Turn to the person next to you and say, peacemaker. People who follow Jesus work for peace. They work for peace. We don't run away from it, but instead, we work for it. We're not afraid of it. So throughout the rest of this talk, I just want to address, how can we work for peace when we run into conflict? And how can we maintain healthy relationships even when the inevitable tension shows up in our closest relationships, in our, acquaintance, in our acquaintanceships? in our romantic relationships, in our friendships, whatever it might be. How can we maintain healthier relationships in the way that we manage our conflict? Now, there's one thing that showed up on the uh, list from earlier today, and this sums up a lot of the, uh, of the temptations that we fall into when it comes to conflict, and it is avoidance. A lot of us want to avoid our conflict. Turn to the person next to you and say, nuh-uh, not me just came to me right now. That wasn't on the script, but I needed it. <laughs> we avoid, right? We avoid. It's something that we do. The University of Portland came out with a study, and they said that among young adults, 79% of conflicts among young adults go unresolved. We send them away. We think that peacemaking just means ignoring. But Jesus, when he said, I want you to be a peacemaker, notice what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, I just want you to be a peacekeeper. Peacekeeping is oftentimes not peace-producing at all. Peacekeeping, while it has good intentions, oftentimes just means ignoring, looking the other way, and pretending it's not real. But pretend peace isn't peace. Pretend peace isn't peace. It's fake. Instead, we need the truth. In Jeremiah, it says this, my people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids. Now, let me say this. This is the message translation of the Bible, and so it's kind of a paraphrase. So take it with a grain of salt, but I couldn't resist using this paraphrase of Jeremiah. It says this. My people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, it's not so bad. You'll be just fine. But things are not just fine. I love the word of God. It is so honest, and it is so real. 
We can pretend like things are peaceful, but it doesn't mean that they're actually peaceful. Now, when Jesus is saying, I want you to go forth and make peace, I want you to go forth and work for peace, it's also important to know this. Jesus is not saying if someone is hurting you, if someone is hitting you, if someone is continually lying to you and harassing you, that you need to work toward maintaining peace with that person and maintaining a relationship with them and maintaining presence in their life. That is not conflict, that's abuse. And Jesus doesn't call for us to be in those relationships. But in our close relationships, in our friendships, there are things that have the potential to rip us apart. But at the end of the day, those things are not actually that big of things. It's the stuff that offends us. And at first it seems small, but then they start to pile up. And we can pretend like it's not there until eventually its shadow is so huge that it's standing over us. Anybody here ever have a problem with taking care of their, their clean laundry? Like, you're good at getting the laundry in the washing machine and in the dryer, but then getting it to the drawer is really hard. Anybody else have an issue with, with, with that? So when I was living by myself for about three years here in Ames, I had an apartment, and in my apartment, I had an extra bedroom. That extra bedroom became my closet. Like, I would wash the clothes, I would dry the clothes, it was very clean, and then I would just toss them in that extra bedroom. And at first, it wasn't that big of a deal. I kept the rest of the apartment clean. I didn't have to look at it. But then the pile got so big that no matter what, if I came in with like 10 feet of that doorway, I would see the pile of clothes. So do you know what I did? I didn't fold the clothes. I just shut the door. <laughs> and I told myself, well, someday when I have a roommate, someday when I'm married, then I'll take care of my laundry, right? Well, I got engaged, Abby and I got married. We have an extra bedroom. I still have laundry issues. And it started with just a small little problem. And then it kept on growing and growing to a point where now when I walk past the doorway, I have to see it. So instead of seeing it and looking at it and addressing it, I just close the door. But here's a problem with that. The more that I avoid the problem, the more that I avoid that room. I will do anything to not walk into that room. I mean, I'll just do it, right? But here's the interesting thing about when we avoid conflict with people. We think we're just avoiding the conflict, but the truth is we're starting to avoid that person too. And we create separation between ourselves. We think that we're avoiding conflict, but we're actually breaking off, of, off a relationship. And it's not healthy. Jesus is adamant. We need to address the conflicts in our life. He's very, very clear about this. He's so blunt about it that it kind of makes us uncomfortable. It says in Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses after our reading for tonight, he says, if you're in the temple and you're about to make a sacrifice, but you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. That's convicting. God's saying, I don't really want to hear your prayers if you've got this unresolved conflict. Now, why would God be so uptight about that, right? Like, that seems a little insensitive. Remember Jesus' most important command. He says, loving God and loving people are inseparable from one another. And when we pray, the Bible says this over and again throughout. When we pray, God doesn't just hear our words, God also understands what's in our hearts. So when we pray, there are the words that we say, but then there are also the prayers that we feel. There are prayers that we say and prayers that we feel, and God knows all of it. And so the prayers that we feel sometimes are the things we won't say, like, I hate that person. I've got a problem with that person. We're never going to make up. We might not be saying that to God, but we're feeling that with God. 
And while God's hearing our words, and God still is our God, and God still loves us, those prayers that are coming from our heart and feeling, because I, I won't have anything God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Yikes. It goes on to say that Jesus meant it when he gave us the most important command. You must love God and you must love others. You must do both. The mark of a Christian, the mark of a follower of Jesus is someone who is growing in love. Someone who is growing in love. And this is just the way that Jesus handled his life. We can see a case study of this in Jesus' life in the book of Luke. It's really, I mean, it's really kind of, it's like, it's a touching, uh, uh, beautiful passage. As Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, Jesus is about to enter into the last week of his life. Think Palm Sunday. He's about to walk into the city. They're going to celebrate him, have a parade. He's riding on the donkey. People are saying Hosanna and, and throwing palm branches on, on the ground and, and their clothes on the ground so that, that the donkey can walk on top of them. They're saying this is your, our royal king. But before Jesus enters the city, it says, as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. There was conflict between him and the people. They didn't understand. He says, you're like, uh, you're, you're like lost chicks without a, without a hen. Yeah, I wanted to love you as like your mother hen, but you won't receive my love. You're not receiving me as the God that I truly am. You're trying to control me. You're trying to control God because, you're trying to believe, because you believe that you can earn your way to God rather than it's me coming to you. And this causes conflict. This causes tension between God and people. We're trying to get up to God and God says, I'm already down here. There's conflict. There's tension. But it says Jesus entered the city. He entered the temple. He didn't say, I'm going to sit back. And if you read the passage, you're like, wait a second. This doesn't seem like he's a peacemaker. This is one of the famous scenes in Jesus' life where he walks into the temple and people are using the temple as a market and absolutely obliterating people's finances because they're skyrocketing the prices on things that should be very inexpensive. They're exploiting the poor. Jesus walks in and he's furious. He began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He, he addresses the conflict. And yet, he still engages with the people. He drives out the conflict, but then it says after that, he taught daily in the temple. So often, we fight with people to win the conflict. Jesus invites us to fight the conflict to win our relationship with people. We're not supposed to fight people to win a conflict, to win a debate, to win a fight. Instead, Jesus gives us the power to defeat conflict that stands between us and people. Jesus defeats conflict for people. Oftentimes, we're, we're tempted to defeat people so that we can win a conflict. This isn't the way that we're supposed to live our lives. Now, of course, how do we walk into that, right? Like, we're not, like, abusive about this. We don't just walk in there and think, aha, like, all right, here we go. It's my time to shine. Like, remember, Jesus continued to engage with the people. And that, that's the second unhealthy management uh, temptation that we fall into that kind of encompasses that larger list that we had earlier. It's, it's attacking. Turn to the person next to you and say, I won't attack you. <laughs> don't attack. Don't attack. It's good. We don't have to attack. No need to do that, right? You know, when we avoid conflict, we're also avoiding the person. But sometimes when we go just into attack mode, we, we get reckless, don't we? We just start hurling things at people. Anybody here seen that old movie, Dodgeball? I don't know if you know this or not, but on, on the left there uh, is a character named Blazer. And you may not know this, he, he's, he's based on me. Um, I have never lost at Dodgeball in my life. Never, believe it or not. 
Um, because when I get into dodgeball, I go into attack mode. Um, and if you don't believe me, I'd like to invite anyone, literally anyone, just come to stage. And I would like to challenge you to dodge. I'm serious. First one up here gets to play me. I won't hurt you, but I will defeat you. Come on down. You're all turning to each other. You should be the one. If you're the one turning and saying you should be the one, that means you should be the one. I will point at someone. I'm really good at awkward silences. Come on down. Come on. Yes! Praise the Lord. All right. Now, the only rule is if you get hit, if you get hit by the ball, you lose, right? So we agree on that rule? What's your name? Ken. Ken, awesome. All right, you lost. I'm sorry. Everybody give Ken a round of applause. Yay! Okay, is, is anybody annoyed with me yet with the way I handle conflict? Let's play again. Somebody else come on down. You know my tactics now, right? Right? Okay, somebody. I'm going to wait. Anybody? Oh, for the love. And somebody in the front row. You guys are close, right? Come on down. You did the Bible reading. You're good. Come on up. You're good. Come on down. All right, here we go. Everybody give Megan a round of applause. Yay! All right, now remember the rules. Don't worry, don't worry, it's all good, right? Is, is there any adjustment to the rule that you'd like to make? Um. Remember the rule is like, you just can't get hit by the ball, right? Do you, like... <laughs> she beat me! Give her a round of applause, she won, she caught the ball. All right. I wasn't fully truthful. I've lost in dodgeball many, many times, right? Now, how does it feel when someone attacks you like that, right? When that's the way, you can go back to the, you can go to the next slide. You can take that off the screen. Like, how do you feel when somebody approaches conflict in just such a dirty, attack mode sort of way? Like, where the stakes feel so high. Why is it that when we walk into conflict, we treat it like it's the Super Bowl? Like, I would do anything to win. Like, why do we do that? Anybody watch the Super Bowl on Sunday? Like, okay, a few people watch that. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm so into it. I love it when Dwayne The Rock Johnson comes on stage. It's time for the Super Bowl. Like, I was a little creeped out, but I was also a little enthused. It was exciting. But they make the stakes so high. How could you not be nervous for it? How could you not be nervous for that? I mean, like, there's all this glitter and glam that shows up before the game. And so, of course, you think, I, I have to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And people walk in there, and they're, like, grumpy and angry. I'm going to hit you. Why? Because this is my life's purpose. What is it to hit you? <laughs> okay. Like, there's more to life than that, right? Now, I, look, I love football. I love sports. I love the Super Bowl. But why do the stakes have to be so high? Do you notice that when the stakes are so high... That's oftentimes when we crumble. That's oftentimes when we make the most mistakes because the mistakes are because the, t the, the stakes are so high and it leads to mistakes. This is like really, uh, I suppose, uh, as, as my friends who work in this field tell me, this is very elementary human behavior studies, right? Where oftentimes the, the tone of our mindset comes out in the tone of our voice. The lens that we see the world through, which is our mind, oftentimes comes out. It's why you have a friend who cannot hide their emotions. And you say, how do I look today? And they go, Aah! because oftentimes what we're experiencing in our mind comes out. And so when we try to, and so when we make the stakes so high in our mind, when we inflate conflict to be this enormous thing, like it could never be solved, well, then that comes out.
and we start to make those mistakes. Um, researchers uh, brought this like way, way, way down, right? And so one of the ways that they say this is, oftentimes a song in your head will influence the way that you behave. And so if you're thinking of a happy song, you will be happy and jolly. But how oftentimes do we walk into conflict and we've got like some really angry music in our head, right? Like, okay, so my brother and sister-in-law, they've got this little baby, Addison, and anytime that she's sad or angry, they, they turn on this song. And I just want you to try, just try to be angry and grumpy when you listen to the happy song. better? Like, what if we approached our conflict without the stakes so high? Like, don't get me wrong, I loved, I mean, I loved the Super Bowl halftime show. In particular, there's one moment in the Super Bowl halftime show that, that I really, really liked, because this was my song, like, right, like, when I was growing up, you know what I mean? Like, if I was getting ready for sports, you know, or getting ready for a game, or whatever it might be, I would always listen to this song. Can I, can I, can we try this? Almost, oh, yeah, just right from the beginning, right? Like, we understand, like, okay, when we approach our life like this, the, the stakes are high. It's almost as if we, uh, is there a guitar pick? Where's that? In the capo. In, oh, in the capo? It's gone. Okay, well, that's fine. Um, here it is, I found it. Right from the beginning of the song. Is it on? Okay. What? You know what? I'm like not smooth right now at all, am I? Hey! Sometimes though we, we approach our conflict with such high stakes. You know what I mean? Like it's, how do I, uh, let's see here. You know what I mean? Like, cause I just have a question, look. If you had, one shot, one opportunity, seize everything you ever wanted in a moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on sweat already, mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready. You know it? What? He's choking, how? Everybody's choking now! Snap back to reality! This is the part nobody knows. That's when it's back to the lab again. You know this part. You better beat this ass! Oh, I was in the wrong key! You better lose your 
yourself in the music the moment you want it You better never let it go You only get one shot Do not miss your chance to blow this opportunity Come once in a lifetime You better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it You better never let it go You only get one shot Do not miss your chance to blow this opportunity Come once in a lifetime The pick is in the guitar, like on the thing, okay. So great song, terrible approach to conflict. Like, you do not have one shot. You do not have just one opportunity. You do not just need to seize it and capture it or else it slips away. Like, you don't have to get lost in the moment, but instead we can approach this with peace. In the book of James chapter 3, there's this beautiful passage about what it means to really create peace, and it comes from wisdom. It doesn't come from high stakes and thinking everything's going to crumble and fall apart if I don't win. Instead, it's softer than that. It's more loving than that. Now, before I read this verse, I also think that I should note this. James was Jesus' brother. Do you think they ever had conflict? Do you think Jesus ever taught James something about how to manage conflict? And here's what James says. Divine wisdom, you know, the kind that comes from my brother, James says, is pure, peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy. It's full of mercy. Turn to the person next to you and say, full of mercy. You can skip two slides, just so you know. Full of mercy. You know, Jesus was in the temple, and he's teaching to the people who he had tension with. He goes in, he drives out the conflict, but he continues to serve the people. And as he's serving the people, people still have conflict with him. It says, but the teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning to kill him. There's serious conflict. There's serious tension. There's a cycle that happens, right? When they saw Jesus come into the temple and drive out the conflict, I wonder if they were confused. Did they take it personally? What hurt them? Like, what struck a chord with them that they thought, that I, I got to kill this guy, right? You want to talk about tension. You want to talk about conflict. Sometimes when somebody comes to us with conflict, the stakes feel really high too, right? And so if they talk about something that we did or something that we're currently doing, we see it and we think that it is an attack on us. But it's not an attack on us, is it? When Jesus comes into our life, he will ruffle our feathers. He will address the conflict in our life. He will defeat the conflict in our life. Sometimes, because of our own pace, it takes longer than other times. But Jesus addresses and deals with and defeats the conflict, but he does not defeat us. He wins us. So I wonder if the religious teachers that day thought, you're insulting me, you've criticized me, you've hurt me, and so now I dismiss you. And so, I don't know, what, what are we going to do? We're going to throw a punch back? And they come up with this plan to kill him, to murder him, to crucify him. This innocent man. This man who was just full of mercy, who loved peace, who came to defeat conflict and win people. 
how do you suppose Jesus might have responded to his enemies? I heard a short story, and I don't think it's a true one, but there was a man who was 100 years old, and they asked, what's the secret to living so long? And he said, I don't have a single enemy in the world. He said, wow, that's so beautiful. That's so inspiring. And he said, yes, I've outlived every single one of them. <laughs> so how do you handle the conflict in your life? Just avoid them? Do you ignore them? Do you sometimes actively cheer against them? Do you pray for their demise? And I know that sounds terrible, but we don't have to do, we don't, we don't have to dig very far to see that people do that all the time. Culturally, it's acceptable, isn't it? You scroll through social media, and if somebody's enemy falls, we're, gra- we're glad about it. We're grateful. We praise. But that's not the way of Jesus, is it? What if, before we went into our conflict, we did things a little differently? What if, for one, we started with prayer? What if we started with prayer? Step one, start with prayer. And ask God this question. God, how do you feel about this person? Suddenly, you won't have this angry, lose-yourself song playing in your head, but instead you can actually approach that person with joy. Maybe not happiness, but joy. You do not, when it comes to having emotionally healthy relationships, you do not have to praise evil. You do, not, you do not have to befriend evil. You do not have to ignore evil. No, you get to name evil. God names evil. Jesus names evil. Jesus has dealt with evil. But remember who's defeated. The enemy's defeated. But who's the enemy? The enemy is not your brother. The enemy is not your sister. The enemy is not that person in your life that just keeps on showing up in your head throughout this message because you're just unresolved in your conflict with them. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the thing that tries to separate us. But praise God, we have a Savior who gives us medicine for that separation. It's his love, it's his mercy, it's his forgiveness. The stakes are not high when we're dealing with conflict. It's just not that high. Because Jesus has dealt with the true enemy. Jesus is on the cross and he stops the cycle. Have you ever let these words really sink in? Jesus is on the cross and in Luke chapter 23, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. I mean, has, have those words ever really sunk in for you when Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all things good, meaning when anything bad happens to something good, it hurts him. I mean, in the eternity of the universe, anything bad against creation has happened against him. Has it ever sunk in with you that Jesus looks out at his enemies and he says, forgive him? Jesus has lowered the stakes of our conflict. The stakes of our conflict simply are not that high because Jesus has defeated the real enemy. When we're dealing with conflict, what are we really doing? We're just getting closer. What are we doing when we're dealing with conflict? We are loving God enough, we are loving people enough, and we are loving ourselves enough to put a halt to this fake peace 
that says, if I win, things will be okay. Do you want emotionally healthy relationships in your life? Start with prayer. Then you will notice in your heart you begin to empathize rather than criticize. You pray. You empathize. You listen. And you love. You have the audacity to listen to Jesus when he says, be a peacemaker. You can do this because Jesus has has defeated the true enemy. Kairos, enjoy your emotionally healthy relationships. They're a gift to you. Enjoy them. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing a song.